America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I'm Chelsea, and I love true crime. And I'm David, and I love horror movies. Today, we're here with writer, producer, director, theatrical sword fighter, animal lover, and just awesome-sounding person, Dana Fredsty. So welcome to our show. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Well, thanks for joining us. We're really happy to have you here. You know, social media is a great way to interact with our listeners. And Steve, aka Steve underscore Objectify on Twitter, reached out. <laughs> you know, he had uh, great things to say about you, and I think what sparked uh, your name in his mind was one of our episodes we were talking about about my love for the Evil Dead movies. And oh, yeah. I, I had mentioned how the Deadites were like one of the best on screen horror movie monsters. And Chelsea had some great insight into that too. And I think he was just like, oh, well, you know, I, I know somebody really cool that you guys should talk to. She's, well, she's an acclaimed novelist and super creative. She writes zombie fiction and urban fantasy. Oh, and by the way, she was in Army of Darkness. So. <laughs> We were like, that hits on all the things that we are into, so... Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I want to hear your insights into why you think the Deadites are one of the best horror movies, uh, so you're going to have to tell me that at some point during this podcast. Yeah, so. totally, yeah. When uh, we touch upon your involvement in that, let's go into it a little bit. Awesome. So before we do really talk about Deadites, because you're a prolific author and multifaceted creative person... I'll take it, I'll take it. One of the things I just wanted to kick off this discussion with you was what inspires you to keep on making such cool stuff. As far as the writing goes, I've wanted to write since I was really, really small. I mean, as soon as I could string words together, I started trying to write stories. And my first story was four lines, but it was a complete story. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it's just always been something that I wanted to do. And as far as inspiration for each project, as far as the zombie novels go, uh, my very first date movie was the original Dawn of the Dead. The first time a guy like bought me popcorn and took me to see a movie, and it was, it was Dawn of the Dead. And I think that that had some sort of positive Pavlovian meaning for me because I just was really into zombies ever since I saw that movie. And uh, my murder mystery that I wrote, I wanted to kill someone that I worked with, and that was a safe way to do it. <laughs> um, so um, I think that this person may actually be dead now, but I still won't say her name just in case she's not. Um, she's the sort of person that actually told uh, those of us that were in a small theatrical troupe in San Diego that we would never work in this town again because we pissed her off. So there, there's some inspiration there. How did you get into uh, sword fighting? I saw the three in the Four Musketeers, the uh, ones directed by Richard Lester, and I'm dating myself. I am carbon dating myself with these movies. I was very young. I was 13. That seems very young right now. Um, and I just fell in love with everything about the movies, including Christopher Lee, who was my first crush. And I wanted to learn how to sword fight. I did not want to be, you know, Milady. I didn't want to be on the arm of a musketeer. I wanted to be a musketeer. And when I was at a Renaissance fair, my very first one, when I was 18, I was standing in line for a turkey leg and listening to this guy, this cute guy in a the puffy shirt and the boots and the breeches talk about how his partner had dropped out and he couldn't do his sword fight that he wanted to. And I just basically popped up and said, I'll do it. And I learned how to do basic choreography in an hour. And we put on a fight in the streets of this Renaissance fair. So that was that. And oh, it just that's, uh, that's went amazing. on 
Interesting. I have so many good <laughs> Ren Fair memories from growing up. That was really, really fun. So, and the cats, well, I, I'm looking around at our cats sort of staring at me and running around the house. I've just always loved them. And I worked at a, a big cat compound for a while as a volunteer docent and not quite a keeper, but we got to feed them and clean out their cages. And boy, when you get to clean out leopard poop, it's kind of exciting. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. And I just am really passionate about feral cats and the fact that killing them doesn't do any good. It's cruel. And we don't really, I feel, have the right to do it. So um, made a co-wrote and was associate producer on a documentary about feral cats in the TNR program. So, Well, yeah, that's amazing. So how do you go from one internalizes when you're you're writing to the physicality of sword fighting and then to all the other things that you've had on your plate? Have you always been interested in all these different sorts of creative outlets? Yeah, pretty much. Sword fighting started when I was 13, writing when I was four or five. I mean, I, I used to love to draw all of these things. I've just always been interested in anything that wasn't practical, uh, basically. <laughs> Never wanted to be an accountant, not interested in numbers or business or any of that. So it's it's just been a lifelong theme. Very cool. I thought one of the, the things that is really cool is your Ashley Parker zombie series, and they sound really cool. I just wanted to uh, find out how you thought of the concept to start writing this series. The quick story is that I was writing for a company called Ravenous Romance at the time, um, and it was a erotic romance, you know, eroticism with, with the genre fiction and story, basically. And the gal, Lori Perkins, who was one of the editors and an agent, called me up one day and basically said that she wanted me to write a zombie series, and she wanted the heroine to be named Ashley. And she wanted it to be like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but different. And that <laughs> I, I hung up after that call after saying, yeah, sure, I'd love to, and went, okay, what the hell am I going to do with this? And sat down and, and wrote some notes and came up with the Ashley Parker series. And it was sold to Titan Books, which is a much better fit than um, Ravenous Romance, because there, there's just not a lot of room for sex scenes in a zombie novel. I'm sorry, there's just not not working really well for me. And in fact, there was only really one in there when it was still going to be for Ravenous. And I remember some of the readers going, why? Why, Dana? Why? (laughs) So I was really glad to to move it to Titan. And as far as the rest of it, she wanted it to be like Buffy. So, you know, Buffy has her slayer powers, which gives her just sort of a head, you know, step up to fight the demons and everything. So with Ashley, I came up with the concept of what I called wild cards. And I did not know about George R. R. Martin's wild card series. I, I had no idea. I've taken some shit for that. So but it just seemed like a really cool name for people who got bitten, who instead of dying, there were like this very small percentage where if they survived the virus in the first place, that they then had, it, it basically enhanced their senses. So not quite like an X-Men, you know, or anything like that. They're not mutants, but but their their five senses are are enhanced. They're stronger, a little bit more athletic. And if they get bit again, they're not going to die. They can still get ripped to pieces and eaten, but they won't turn into a zombie. So uh, that's that's kind of how that happened. I love how I mean, at least to me, I I feel a hint in terms of the trilogy titles, the Plague Town, Plague Nation, and Plague World. A little bit of that uh, Romero escalating titles. Was that uh-huh. a little bit of an influence in the names? Originally, I wanted to call the first one A Plague on All Your Houses and kind of do a Shakespeare thing. But my editor, uh, Steve Saffel, who I worked with at Titan now for, gosh, I guess seven or eight years, he decided that that was a little too esoteric. And as I was writing about zombies, he wanted to go for something a little bit more Romero-esque. So I'm going to I'm gonna hand over credit for that for that to him. So, And actually, my husband, I think, big, uh, 
you wait in on that. Yeah, he's nodding over there very vehemently. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll give them credit for that one. I love it. I absolutely love the concept. I'm a big Buffy fan. So, oh, yeah. you know, girl, girls kicking butt is just yep. uh, very, very up my alley. I was wondering, do you watch any of the current zombie I guess it's kind of big now on television with The Walking Dead oh, and iZombie. We're, we're big iZombie fans here. Um, My husband and I have a list. iZombie is on the list. We were watching Walking Dead. I read the, the graphic novels before the, the series was a thing on TV. And so you've watched it, right? If I say something, I'm not going to give a spoiler for you. We watched it and then we ended up, but I got a little bit fed up and then stopped. So Yeah, I got fed up. I mean, I, I kind of went up and down depending on the season. When Negan hit, I love that actor but I swear to God, I would just hit fast forward because he monologues all the time and I got so bored. So I need to catch up on Walking Dead because otherwise I lose some of my, you know, my, my street cred as a... <laughs> as someone who knows all all things zombie. Um, I've watched some Zombie Nation. That's also on the list. We liked the first two episodes of iZombie. It's just that we have a really long list of shows that we want to watch. But Dave and I write pretty much all the time. And we're constantly struggling to, you know, hit a deadline or not be too far behind on a deadline. So we have to kind of pick and choose what we're, we're watching. And when I am, you know, writing something zombie, I'll, I'll put something on that I've seen like a million times before, but I don't want to watch anything new because then I can't really pay attention to it. So um, like Buffy, I can't tell you how many times I have watched Buffy on the background when I write. So definitely a good background choice. I think for me, that's supernatural, which I've seen a million times. Uh, see, that's another one on my list that I've heard is really, really good. Have you watched Veronica Mars? Or, or oh, yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. Uh, we both have. It's the creator of iZombie does Veronica Mars also. You're yeah. kidding. I did not know that. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, that's even more of a reason to put iZombie higher up on the list because our friend got us into Veronica Mars and I. It's it's addictive. It's like Buffy. It's just the same, you know. Yeah, I'm, thing, I'm a very so. big fan. Also, Logan is in iZombie in some of the later seasons so i yep. like logan a bit so <laughs> yeah he just hit my favorite male character there so <laughs> good choice he's like super buff in the show too yeah he's he, ah. he's very buff in the show it's interesting it's like they kind of put kind of looks like they put his head on someone else's body but i don't <laughs> not like it i like him because he looks different one of the problems with both buffy and and this is a lot of the male i don't even want to call them leads the sub leads they look like they grew them in a vat somewhere and they just sort of like popped out these generic looking guys and none of them did anything for me i mean okay spike yes spike absolutely <laughs> love me my spike but you know like the guy that was her boyfriend in veronica mars and i know where i'm totally getting off topic but I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up here the boyfriend and then the guys that she first dated we couldn't tell them apart at first we had to really study them to go okay this is what's different about them so anyway deviation i'll stop now i, I could talk about veronica mars all day i should have a veronica mars <laughs> podcast <laughs> I'll be on it. I'll be on it. <laughs> I have always been a big fan of zombies. Actually, my um, I told this story on a recent episode, but just like zombies were the thing as a as a kid that really scared me. I watched some of the the movie Magic growing up, and and it took oh, away yeah. a, a little bit of the mystique. But but zombies, I w I would have recurring nightmares about them chasing me. So I, well, they're creepy, and I think they're creepy because you can't or you shouldn't really make them sexy, and they they just don't stop. They're you know they may whether they're slow or they run, it's sort of like they will just keep coming and they'll go through a wall if they have to. It, I found that probably the creepiest thing 
for me, they're the creepiest monster and they can also be very, very cheesy when done wrong. But yeah, I I don't really think vampires are scary, though. I am looking forward to seeing V Wars on Netflix. I I assume that you've got that on your watch list now. I did see that. Yeah, it's hitting it. Uh, There's just, oh, there's so much TV out there. It's it's a little overwhelming. Uh, Wes, speaking of vampires, we're we're doing a uh, another episode on Dracula and the the true crimes of uh, Vlad, right? Vlad the Impaler. Uh Uh, Vlad the Impaler. Yep. But yeah, watching Love those, fish, yeah. yeah, yeah, and the you know the the original Bella Lugosi Dracula is a great like classic film, but I prefer zombies over vampires. Yeah, I I do too. I really do. I mean, and I'd love to see them try to make Twilight with zombies just to see what would happen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think they kind of did. There's actually a, a zombie romance movie called Warm Bodies that's surprisingly cute. I love that movie. Yeah. See, in Twilight, I did not love so much because I mean, for many reasons. But yeah, I thought Warm Bodies was. Really 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 good i actually okay i teared up in it at one point i cried don't tell but i did no i i agree though i thought that movie was very touching and it's actually it's one that i've seen that david has not seen so i'm gonna have to sit him down and uh, make him watch it yeah absolutely and just just trust me it's a really good movie both for people who like zombies and people who don't like zombies i just I, i stand by that movie one thing that i really like about i feel like it's pretty universal in zombie movies is i think because the enemy is so kind of faceless and nameless you get to spend a lot more time with you know the human characters and looking at their interactions you know whether they be good or bad i know you know romero's big thing is like the humans are the enemies the zombies are more like a like a natural disaster or something did you see survival of the dead yeah i did so so do zombies eat horses have we come to a decision on this or are we just going to pretend that movie didn't happen because i I love george romero but i hate that movie yeah, I'm I'm not a fan. Um the the survival of the dead and then the um the diary of the dead. I, I just those didn't quite strike me the same way as his other zombie films. I think that they were a little too earnest for one thing. I know that the diary of the dead and I, I just wanted to slap the, the heroine in that because she always had that expression on her face, whatever. She, she never really changed it. Yeah, I um and, and survival of the dead, I guess my, my number one question that had nothing to do with zombies is why is an island off of Delaware inhabited by Irish warring clans? I as a writer I found that just like what what are you doing <laughs> yeah, so, yeah it was it was certainly odd I do like Land of the Dead a lot I know that one's kind of one of the the lower ones and in, in terms of people's ratings of them but I like it there's things I love about that movie and there's things well, I liked Bub in the original Day of the Dead but I I kind of had a problem with Big Daddy Zombie practically falling on his knees and raising his hands up and yelling no when his zombie playmates got shot near the beginning of the movie that was the kind of thing I had a problem with but there was I mean, there were some really cool things. I loved uh, Dead Reckoning. I loved the the big car thingy, you know, the yes. vehicle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And it's it's a it's a little more, I guess, post apocalyptic. It gets further on down the line, right? And uh, yeah. In our human history with the world yeah. full of zombies. The other thing besides that, this is your most recent book is The Spawn of Lilith? My most, my most, most recent recent is actually a science fiction novel called Time Shards that I co-wrote with my husband, David Fitzgerald. Uh, so I'm doing two series back to back with Titan. So the first book of Spawn of Lilith came out and then after that was Time Shards. So really, really happy with both of them. Oh, excellent. Reading about Spawn of Lilith, is there elements of your past and present lives that have influenced that story yeah, I um, used to do specialty stunt work, which mainly a lot of sword fighting. And I'm very 
careful to clarify that because especially back then, and it may still be the same way now, um, in the world of stunts, a lot of people did everything, but at the time, very few people were actually trained to do to do the sword fighting. And there's just sort of a hierarchy, and the stuntmen at the time were not happy, say on Army of Darkness, that a sword choreographer was brought in to choreograph the fights because they felt that they could do it, um, which I'm going to say very politically, no, they couldn't, not to the same level. And I actually got into an argument with the head stuntman because he was saying that amateurs came in to take their jobs and it was like well no we've actually all of us here have trained for many of us many years to do this and we're getting paid which makes us professionals and that didn't go over really well at the time but I probably would have been a little bit more politic when I when I when I think about things back then but yeah so in terms of just coming in on that job and I guess there was sort of an established hierarchy of stunt people well there was the stunt people and then there were the there was the sword fighters and like we trained all of the extras in, in basic sword fighting. Uh, I was one of the sword captains. And, you know, we ba- we taught them, when I say basics, I'm talking just your, your basic parries and, and hits and how to not kill each other and really, really simple moves. And then there was people that, you know, like I got to do my own choreography, uh, which was really, really fun. And it was a blast. I mean, I have to say it was one of those, those experiences that we did not realize at the time that this movie was going to be anything like a cult movie. We just thought, okay, this is fun. And it's the third evil dead movie and everything and it was really fun and so I had that experience as I make my heroine uh, Lee Lee Striga she's good at everything uh, when it comes to do with stunts but her specialty is also the sword play because that's what I was really good at and I never set myself on fire I never took a high fall because heights is still one of those things that I'm just like no don't want to do it so when I when I needed to get experience and information for how to do things I have a friend Alina Andre who is currently a stunt woman and Dan Speaker, who runs the Academy of Theatrical Combat, sent me up with some stuntmen to talk to, and I got to find out how do you, when you're going to set yourself on fire or, or get set on fire, how does this work? How many people do it? What kind of safety crew do you have to have on there? You know, what do you, what, what does it mean when you drift when you're a driver? All of this stuff. I read a ton of books, and um, when it came time to, you know, I used to act, and back in it hasn't been that terribly long, but it's changed so much. Just the way that you, you even audition for a project has changed. And so, uh, someone that I've met, because she's also a writer and an actress, Amber Benson, uh, who you'll recognize from Buffy, uh, yeah. spent some time talking to her, and she was just incredibly helpful walking me through how it was done nowadays, what was different. So, you know, I could, it's, it's basically kind of like writing a book and then getting it published 10 or 15 years later and discovering that you need to add cell phones. It's that kind of disconnect. So, and I had to do that too, by the way. So, well, I guess some of the, um, how they erase wires and all that stuff is and digital stunt doubles and all that's kind of really made it a bit different too. Yeah. And, and what I'm doing in mine is that the conceit of the the series is that there's a community of supernatural beings that some people know about, some people don't. And they do very well in Hollywood doing special effects, doing stunts, because they can do things and they're willing to do things sometimes more cheaply than you you would get a, a normal human and, you know, all of the, the effects that have to happen in the green screen to make things playable. Like you can have someone who can actually, if not fly, 
surfs the wind a little bit. And so you can get them doing high falls and you've cut down your risk and you get all these magnificent stunts. And, you know, again, only a small subset of the Hollywood community actually knows about them. So that's what's going on there. Hey, that really sold it for me. I definitely want to check it out. It sounds like a lot of fun. The only thing about stunts that I have really seen is I read uh, Kane Hodder's autobiography where he walks through his career and that was pretty fascinating talk uh, how he talks about coming up kind of as a amateur and then becoming a professional and his injuries and all that and that's, it was quite a story what is the name of that book because that's I, I have a stack of, of uh, stunt books and I that's one I don't have so yeah it's pretty good and, and he, he gets really intimate about just his experiences with it it's called unmasked the the life story of Kane Hodder I like his Jason a lot um so you have uh, the spun of Lilith and then um you're into horror you're into is urban fantasy the next genre and then sci-fi well urban fantasy I mean it's it's dark urban fantasy which is basically a market way of saying horror um, because there's there's a perception with marketing that horror doesn't sell as well but obviously if there's enough people like you out there I think that's a lie of the devil um, but so it's horror with a little bit I mean in my case with a little bit more humor I mean it, horrible horrific things happen but I actually like to write I mean it's one of the things I love about about Buffy is the humor that goes with everything else so I really like that sensibility and then science fiction yeah um, time shards basically is if, if you look on the timeline as something that has always been there always will be there and you know everything just exists in this line what happens if it shatters and gets put back you know with pieces from all of the different centuries Anyway, it's really, really fun. So we're, we're able to write, you know, we've got in, in the first novel, this is the first one where the, the timeline actually shatters. And, you know, we've got a, a 21st century girl from San Diego. We've got a, a Cromwell and the Roundheads. We've got a Megalodon because I really wanted people to get eaten by a Megalodon. It's just one of those things I wanted in there. Ooh, um, it sounds good. A, it's, it's really, really fun. We've got a Victorian. I mean, we've just got all of these people from different time periods thrown together having to survive in this world where you know it's not quite as bad as Stephen King's The Mist in terms of you step outside and you get it but you know you're, you're now in a world where dire wolves and t-rexes and all of these things you know and just people in, in from different time periods that would see you and, and shoot you right off the bat because you know you look like a witch or whatever so yeah it was it was a blast to write and the first one is it's doing really well and so we're just about wrapping up on the second one and then it's back to the second spawn of lilith book which is called blood ink and takes place in new orleans so oh, awesome we love new orleans we went there for our oh. one year wedding anniversary oh awesome yeah so how is it different uh, working with your husband versus having all of the creative control to yourself? I know we have a lot of fun doing this podcast together, so <laughs> I, I imagine that it has its benefits. I've collaborated with people a, a lot because I used to have uh, the, the Murder Mystery Theatrical Group in San Diego, and my best friend and I ran that together and co-wrote all of the material for that. And then my ex and I, he was the Armor and Army of Darkness. He and I wrote screenplays together, and so... And then I, I wrote, there was a horror author named uh, T. Chris Martindale. And if you've not ever read Where the Chill Waits, find a copy of that book and read it. It is one of my favorite horror novels out there. Um, he and I wrote a screenplay based on that novel and then wrote an original one together. And it was just each person came with different challenges. I mean, with my best friend, it was pretty easy. If we didn't like something, it was like, dude, that's stupid. I'm, dude, that's stupid. And we would just continue from there. Um, with Dave and I, we do a lot of our brainstorming. We walk our dog on the beach and we hash things out. And he was a lot more uh, worried about the process than I was. 
was because he had not collaborated with anyone yet. And it went really well. I mean, every now and again, we don't agree about something. And, you know, he, we met because he swords fights as well. So we can just go out in the street and, you know, <laughs> first touch gets their way, basically. It's, it's really fun. And it, it was his idea. I mean, he, he came up with this. He, he wanted to do a, a tabletop role-playing game. And this was an idea for it. And he was telling me, uh, driving back from Comic-Con a couple of years ago, and I just got chills, you know, my, the hair in the back of my neck just raised right up because it was such a good idea. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 this has to, we've got to write a series. And so pitched it to, um, then my agent, now our agent, and she really liked the idea. So that's also with Titan. Well, that's awesome. That's, it was really fun. I was going to ask you, since it's on my mind, Deadites, right? <laughs> yes. Tell, tell me your thoughts about Deadites. I'm curious. Yeah, I think that Deadites are great because one of the things that I think you see in the movies is you don't know who is going to be the Deadite next. It's not It's not so much, I dig zombies, zombies are one of my favorites, but with Deadites, it's so unpredictable. It's like a combination of a zombie and a demon. And right. um, I love the concept of almost like the demonic possession is contagious and that's kind of yeah. what it seems like the the deadites are it's a it's a it's kind of an overpowering force and it can kind of jump i don't know if it jumps in and out of you i guess it it jumps out of ash at a certain point and doesn't come back but um there's something really creepy about their appearance they have kind of that like monster transformation and the eyes go yeah. white and it's just so like sort of sort of soulless and yeah i just I love the unpredictability of it all. I, it would make me mad. I mean, I totally agree with you, but I'm like, it's just like, it was so unfair. It's like the first movie, um, which was so much fun to see in the theater, it was like, you know, it just basically seemed no matter what anyone did or how they did it, they were totally screwed. I mean, there was no way to, there was no way to get away from, from that because like you said, it was contagious. So um, I really like that. And the second one then, the, he just did such a really good job of, of combining horror and humor, um, I think, especially in the second one. I, I love Army of Darkness. I absolutely love it to me it's it definitely has got a lot more humor than horror in it but I, you know it's just such a fun movie and that's that's like it's it's charm i think there's a new blu-ray came out i guess last year that has all the different cuts of it and i think i've seen a lot of them over the years and it's it's neat to see all the little different things that um happen like the extra gags with ash and the windmill i think that's like such <laughs> such a great like slapstick yeah. scene I was thinking about when you were talking about training and all of you guys were performing as deadites, did that impact what you could see and what you could do? Did you like do like Luke Skywalker and have like your helmet down where you <laughs> couldn't see when you were training? <laughs> well, we, we trained first without the helmets on because yeah, they were, they were kind of, they were kind of hairy at times. So we just made sure that the choreography was really, really set. So even if the helmet slipped a little bit, you, you were less likely to hurt your partner or have your partner hurt you. Um, but two things were really kind of, kind of freaky, but really fun at the same time. One of them was when the, the death coaster, cause we were fighting in the background during that. And that was just kind of like, you're seeing that thing roaring through there and, it was kind of like, am I going to die by death coaster <laughs> dressed in a latex deadite suit? Um, no one got hurt in the making of that, but it was it was kind of freaky. Um, and then, you know, the end where Henry and Arthur's army, they, they stop and they stare at each other and then they go stomping over to give each other man hugs and all that. Yeah. And we're lying there dead on the ground. Holy crap. That was the worst part because you're just looking above you with these, you know, actors and extras some of which were not too careful about where they stepped. And that was kind of another thing on a gravestone trampled by opposing armies making up on the battlefield. So it's, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. 
Oh, um, that's amazing. Yeah. It just seems and reading about how they were able to pull it off was just pretty incredible. We've been at a couple of cons with Bruce Campbell and he's always a lot of fun. And I met Ted Raimi last year and he was saying how many characters he's he a had. doll. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's one scene where he like, tur- you, you, it's like, I'll be with you. I'm scared. Yeah. You can just, you just like Ted Raimi, Ted Raimi, Ted Raimi, I think three in a row. That's pretty great. So after you were in Army Darkness, did that give you any passion to act as a I don't know, an undead anymore after that? <laughs> no, not not necessarily. It was it was really fun. What I did after that is that I was in a really, 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 really low budget movie, so low budget that I'm not even sure what the budget was. Um, I basically did it for food and because um, my ex was first AD on the movie and they, they needed some extras. But what happened, it was the coolest thing ever because the guy who was a stunt coordinator on that was um, Jack. He doubled Wang in Big Trouble in Little China. He did all the aerial work. And in um, Army of Darkness at the end where they're back in Shop Smart, Shop S-Mart, and uh, Ash is fighting the demon, all of the, the whirls in the air, all of the, you know, all of that, that's Jack. He found out that Brian and I knew how to sword fight. And he was like, oh, cool, we can do some sword fights. So after my character in that movie dies, I got to do sword fights. I got to do a lot more, you know, just stunt fights, falls and stuff like that. And it was so much fun. And, you know, he was talking about putting a stunt team together and he wanted us to be on it and be a sword people. And then unfortunately that was in Yes Children, there was a time before internet was really a thing and it, it was a lot easier to lose touch with someone and and just you know he I guess moved to Florida and it never happened but just getting to work on that one movie with him because Big Trouble in Little China is one of my favorite movies of all times um I absolutely love it and it was it was just so much fun to do that so you know it, it it's sort of fun doing a lot of different things and having experiences rather than I mean if I if I'd gone ahead and done stunts for another 10 years or so and really got more into that that would have been fine too but I'm pretty content with the way things played out. That's really awesome. And I like that, you know, you're able to kind of use that in your book series as well. I am not a writer. I have I have no talent in writing. I always am <laughs> amazed, though, how authors are able to put themselves in so many different characters and have so many different voices that feel authentic. And uh, yeah, that's very cool. Oh, it's fun, too. Especially if you want to kill someone. <laughs> you can, instead of having it be a true crime, you can make it a faux crime. So Yes, totally. Um, you mentioned the uh, murder mystery troupe. So how did that come about? My best friend and I, we liked to write. We were both really into noir. Um, we loved, you know, the old uh, Humphrey Bogart movies and Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett and all that. And we just decided, I think it started when we were asked by the local mystery club if we would put on some sort of uh, a show for them and we hadn't really done anything yet so we put on a mystery fashion show and what we did is we wrote two scripts we wrote a goth we wrote a hard-boiled one with the peruvian pigeon and the White lake and that would be funnier if you if you'd read gothics back in the day um and we had a fashion segment where we had our actors come on come out and basically model their clothes and we had this total tongue-in-cheek uh, script about what they were wearing and why and then we went ahead and did the the uh, little playlets and that kind of started it we decided that because that went so well which it really did and it's one of those things where I don't know why we managed to pull off what we did so successfully because she and I just for an explosion we would pop balloons off to the side and it, it's just the stupidest things ever and it just really really worked and so we were hired to do 
walking tours for the Raymond Chandler Festival in La Jolla. And uh, we did the gala performance at the huge gala dinner. And that's that's when I pissed off the lady that told us we'd never work in this town again. <laughs> and oh, no. that's why I wrote Murder for Hire, because I wanted her dead. Um, and it was just... Marina and I just did all of this crazy stuff and we just decided that we were going to do it and if we'd thought about it we probably would have been too intimidated and we wouldn't have ever done it as it was we had a great time so that sounds so fun I've never participated in one but I I feel like it's up our alley I've done a an escape room but that's about it while we're on the topic of murder mysteries yes uh, have you ventured into the genre of true crime at all are you are you uh, yeah. are you into it I, yeah I, i'm probably not into it quite as much as you are but uh-huh. because i find true crime more horrifying and disturbing than any horror movie you can give to me practically um other than the ones that hurt animal which i won't watch but yeah i like we've got books on on serial killers um, i mean just the oj simpson thing alone because that actually happened we were rehearsing at um i was in a band in la and we were over at our drummer's house rehearsing and he was like a block away from the house that night where oh, wow. and he was telling us the night before how he heard noises and that's what it turned out to be so oh. i mean that's crazy. Yeah, so there was just, sort of, it, it was really crazy and really disturbing. And it was also, you know, I knew O.J. Simpson from from the police squad movies. And it was sort of like, you, you didn't think of someone who was a, a hero to some, anyone that could possibly have done something like this. So that was, was kind of fascinating. I mean, we just saw the Tanya Harding story, which wasn't a murder, but it was still, I don't know, um, just, did you see that movie? Or is that not in your your true crime genre um area. we we have not seen it yet but it actually is on on the list that we want to cover for true crime movies i would i would consider it a true crime movie i like to cover everything because i feel like you talk about nothing but really gruesome murders and serial killers right. I'm like why not a fun bank heist movie you know <laughs> something you know something a, a little bit on the lighter side you know i yeah. i definitely get what you mean about true crime being kind of darker and scarier than any horror movie and i, I feel the same way but i also kind of feel like that's why i find it so interesting i say that you know for me as a woman existing in the world you know what yep. i'm afraid of is yep. people who are gonna kill me and you know what david's yep. afraid of is zombies so it's, <laughs> it's just a little different no it, it works and i you know like i said i've got several books on serial killers and I've, I've read a lot of the different ones and that's probably as close as i would come to what i call the you know i don't want to see car accidents i don't want to see people's dead bodies there unless i have to look something up for an actual right you know if i have to know what someone looks like when they die safe from drowning but you know serial killers are they're horrendously fascinating i mean john wayne gacy i mean texas chainsaw massacre was based on a true crime and it's both a horrifying horror movie and sort of a horrifying fictionalized version of of true crime so um, what is your for you if you had to pick one um what what would your favorite true crime sound so bad but you know what i mean by that so i'll just ask it so i've i've always gone with john wayne gacy just because he was kind of one of the first serial killers that i started reading about i actually uh-huh. heard about him uh it was the Suf john stevens album the was it come on here the uh-huh. illinois and yeah he, he has this this really like beautiful song and i was like what's this song about oh it's about a serial killer named john wayne gacy <laughs> who also dressed up like a clown and did a bunch of paintings so uh, you know yeah. I, I think i'll 
I'll always have if you want to call it a, a soft spot for him. Uh, that that would be my choice. Yeah, he covers all the bases there with clowns and clown paintings, and uh, I mean, I find them horrifying all by themselves. Not not just because he was a serial killer, but yeah, I, I think him and um, Albert Fish, Peter Dusseldorf. Or no, not he lived in Dusseldorf. What was this? A serial uh, killer who was in yeah, Germany. You know, it's Peter Curtin, the vampire of Dusseldorf. Yes, yeah, that and oh god, the 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 Yorkshire Moors killers. Uh, did you ever mm. see? Do you guys watch uh, Black Mirror at all? No, but we have to. <laughs> People keep telling yeah, us that we have to, to at least. Yeah. Definitely, you need to watch. Um, it's it's called White Bear, I think, and it's in the first season. And for me, it was the most disturbing one because it's loosely based. There's there's an element that's tied into the the Yorkshire Moors, um, but you know the the yeah, couple. Yeah, no, I so, I do know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It stuff like that is just. Um, yeah, I, like I said, there, there's really it's it's I find it just sort of the most horrendous thing in the world. And I, I think what you said maybe about reading about some of this stuff, because it almost feels like if you read about it, you can you can protect yourself and others from it. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think that has to be some of the fascination for some people, at least. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and uh, part of the our shtick, well, it's not really our shtick, it's, it's true, is that I'm, I'm the same way. Uh, Dana, I, I find that the uh, the true crime is, is so horrific. I, I like the escapism of, of horror movies. So yeah. I've always been like, yeah, I, I don't have really a favorite serial <laughs> killer case, but Chelsea does most of the intensive research on the true crime aspect of it, and I, I stick to the behind the scenes and the interpretation of the film. I think you'll like the Tanya Harding movie because it's an awesome, awesome, awesome movie. And it's also fascinating. And it actually really makes you sort of reconsider preconceived notions, not necessarily change your mind, but it makes you think. And it's not nearly as horrific as any of the other stuff we were just talking about. So, you know, we've yeah. we've talked about a lot of your awesome work. I was just wondering for our listeners and, and for people who may be new readers, do you have a place to start that, uh, you know, our audiences, every everyone from, you know, they may be into your murder novel, but also the zombies or or everything else well if you are into murder mysteries then i would say murder for hire the peruvian pigeon uh, which is actually based uh, loosely on our murder mystery troupe in san diego if you are into zombies then you want to start with plague town uh, which is the first in the trilogy and if you are into urban fantasy dark urban fantasy um spawn of lilith definitely and if you're interested in sort of like the seedy underbelly of hollywood then definitely spawn of lilith and then for science fiction time shards so that's awesome Thanks, everyone something for yeah. everyone yeah and there, there's even romance in there but we're just gonna leave that one alone for now so i mean that's good too we we actually have an ongoing discussion on our facebook group about romantic comedies and romantic dramas and stuff like that and it's like oh yeah you know we all love murders and horror movies but a lot of romance there too so yeah that, that's how i escape oh, yeah. is with the rom-coms so and i do yeah. i'm i'm a big urban fantasy fan i've uh read Janine Frost and Kim Harrison and all those. So I think I might check oh, out yeah. Spawn of Lilith first. That sounds I, right up I my think alley. That's a good yeah, yeah I, I think that's a good choice for you. So glad we're hitting all of our our audience's uh, sweet spots. I think with your work. Yes. So yes, it's really cool that you know you joined us. And I know we talked about our shared love of uh, of animals. Yeah, I got my babies. Our kitty Willows joined us, but uh, everyone else, they kind of get into some mischief when we're recording, so they're hanging out in the rest of the house. My little Siamese is sitting on my lap in front of my computer trying to eat my uh, headphone cord. <laughs> so I've been trying to yank it out of her mouth for the last few minutes, so... 
little behind the scenes. True crime here, Macy. True crime. So. <laughs> this has been really, really fun. I, I'm glad that I had a little something for everyone. We're just so happy to have you on the show. And, you know, we want to share your work with our listeners. So I know you're you're all over the social media, but um, do you have a couple <laughs> of the where you're most active at? Uh, definitely Facebook. And it, it's just Dana Fritzy. I got both an author page and then I've just got my, you know, my regular page. And I'm more than happy to get friend requests on my regular page. So there and then I'm on Twitter and I think my handle is Zadi1, Z-H-A-D-I-1. And I'm on Instagram. Same thing, Zadi1. Oh, perfect. And we'll be sure to include links in our show notes. It's been a pleasure to have you join us on this episode. Thank you. We hope all you listeners out there have enjoyed this chat. It's fun to mix up our format a bit and have, have someone creative like you join our show and, and talk about your work. So thank you so much. Thank you. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.